Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am here with a beautiful human being who is also a professional dog trainer, and I am so excited for you all to meet her. I think you're really going to like her. So, Lizzie, without further ado, will you introduce yourself to the listeners? I sure will, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me today. I am Lizzie Flanagan, owner of Lizzie and the Good Dog People, proudly based in Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm a CTC, which is Certified Trainer and Counselor. That just means I graduated from the Academy for Dog Trainers. Okay, so I want it, I want you to tell the listeners about your beautiful trio of dogs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So right now I'm doing life with Tuck, Finch, and Iggy. Tuck is a five-year-old shepherd, terrier, etc. mix. Finch is um, a really fun mix. He is visibly Chihuahua and Husky. I've done DNA on all of them. So he looks like a Chihuahua and Husky had a baby and he's got um, some terrier in there too. And then little Iggy, who is Chihuahua, Pomeranian, and again, a little a little something something. Um, they're amazing companions and they're pretty decent roommates. Oh my God. They're so cute. So everyone, I, I met Lizzie on Instagram, right? So shout out your Instagram handle really fast. What is it? Oh yeah, sure. Lizzie and the dogs. Lizzie and the dogs. And I love following you for a multitude of reasons, but one of those major reasons being, I feel like you and I have something in common in the fact that like, we are always trying to look for the good in the world. We are always trying to use our platforms to build people up, to empower our clients and our followers. And, you know, you love nature. You have adorable dogs. You love gardening. You love bright colors. Like following you is, is one of those things. Like that's what that social media is supposed to make us feel like. Oh, that's the best compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Right. And everyone, I, I had messaged Lizzie and I was like, Hey, listen, I feel like we could have a really good conversation for the podcast. And I'm so grateful that you accepted my invitation. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of your values when it comes to training, right? So obviously you have a formal education and training, which is so beautiful, but I think what I admire about you is you bring something so much more like There's so much warmth and kindness and compassion in addition to like your formal education. And I was hoping you could just kind of share with the listeners a little bit more. Like, I don't know. What do you label yourself? Like, I know that there's a lot of labels in the training community, positive reinforcement, force free. Like, do you want to just kind of share with everyone a little bit more about like your individual philosophy as it comes to training dogs? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think in terms of terms and labels, the one that resonates most with me is counselor. And that's a big part of the academy education. So when I got to the academy and I, there was this whole section, this module, this whole area of study around counseling the client, I really lit up around it. Um, so counselor, I mean, sure. I'm a, you know, I 
I'm a dog trainer. I'm a human coach. I'm a behavior consultant. I identify with force-free, reward-based. So reward-based training. I love the word humane. Yes. And, you know, when I'm talking with clients, because jargon is tough, right, Rachel? It's sort of like, what is force-free? I'm going to get that question all the time. What is force-free? So when I'm talking with prospective clients, I just want to assure them that our work together will never involve hurting, scaring, or coercing their dog. Um, And it's an open invitation to check in with me if they don't feel okay about something, or if they have questions about a particular approach, um, transparency is really important to me. Well, okay. And seriously, shout out to the Academy for Dog Trainers. How beautiful that they cover that, right? And like the course in your certification. Because I think that, yeah, like it's so valuable. And you know, I love the positive reinforcement training community. Like shout out to you all, how you can show up on Instagram. It's so beautiful. But I yep. think that something that I observed and, and I continue to learn and, and grow from is I feel like as an industry, we are not always um, compassionate and welcoming, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think that there's a, a level of, um, it can be really off-putting, I think sometimes. Yeah, not only... Um, when it comes to clients and client shaming, um, which just breaks my heart. So, you know, it's the clients, but also, gosh, we're hard on each other. Um, you know, there, there, there is picking a part of other trainers and, you know, kind of judging the nuances, how we phrase things, how we, you know, share things, what we post and all of that. And and you're right. I think it can be alienating on several levels. Right. And it's like, you know, I think it's one of those things that I think it comes from a place of such a deep desire for animal welfare, which yep. I think we can all agree that is our top priority, right? Is making sure that the animals that we work with are treated in the best possible way we can. But I think often we forget that those principles also need to apply to the guardian and the other people in our community, in our field, right? And, you know, there are so many different approaches to teaching one behavior. And as long as the learner is getting what they need and we are not doing anything outside of like being as kind and compassionate to our learners we can... I think we're really just wasting our time nitpicking, right? Like we have so many bigger things that we could be doing with our gift and our, you know, I I don't know if you identify with this, Lizzie, but I feel like being a professional trainer and coaching my clients is really my purpose, right? Like my life's purpose. And I'm so committed to it that like, I I don't want to get bogged down in, in nitpicking things that don't need to be nitpicked. Rachel, that's gorgeous. I just, I love that. That completely resonates with me. And one of the things that Jean talked a lot about in the counseling area and in general, and I I just, I, this hadn't occurred to me until I was in the academy is that we are on the clock here, right? These people are struggling with some behavior in their dog. Sometimes it's something really scary, like aggression. And they don't know what we know. And so we get into this session with them. We have this very limited time and it's 
really their time. And this whole notion of, you know, spending any of that time kind of force feeding them information about how the way we do it is right, we're better, or even talking to them about, you know, what the other side is doing, right? What compulsion trainers are doing is if they haven't asked is, you know, it's eating up valuable time that they've paid for. It's, it's not what they've signed on for. They want help. So let's help them. Right. Um, and I, I just, I see that as, I don't know. It's just, I hold that very dear. Well, and I feel like that just like opens up this beautiful, like, I don't know. I feel like the weight really got lifted off my shoulders when I realized that like, I can serve my clients and never once mention the words force free. I can serve my clients and never once say how much I dislike Caesar Milan, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it it doesn't have to be that. We're not trying to convert people. We're, We're literally trying to support them and guide them so that their dog and themselves can get what they need. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so many important ways to fill that time. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about since the pandemic is how little bandwidth people have. And so, you know, like you said, talking about other trainers, whether they're force free or, you know, the other kind, um, just doesn't feel like a good use of our time. People have limited energy, they have limited time, they have limited bandwidth. And so when I get, you know, when I'm in their company and I'm sitting in front of them and they have this really particular challenge, that's what we address. And I want any time that we spend talking about something other than maybe the actual training of the dog or or the particular behavior at hand is how are you doing? How can I support you? Um, how do I help support you in a way that, you know, meets you where you are as the learner here? <laughs> oh, oh my God, seriously, preach. Everyone, you can't see, but I, like I have my hands in the air. Because <laughs> it's, you know, I think that obviously we have formal educations. We understand operate conditioning. We understand classical conditioning. We understand how to change behavior. We understand how to manage, manage environments, but I think the real skill set that we have is being able to emotionally hold space for our clients and support yeah. them regardless yeah. of where they at where they're at or what's going on. You yeah. know, like I think that it's so easy to have this knowledge set of like okay, the dog is biting people. How do we break this down? What are the ABCs? What's our in-depth behavior plan? But that really doesn't always need to be what happens, right? Like sometimes it's really so much more about helping shift our client's perspective of what's happening and help them realize how we can shift some simple things and everybody can get what they need out of it, right? It doesn't always have to be this like long drawn out behavior plan. Sometimes it's just supporting people to understand their dogs so that we don't need an extensive behavior plan. Yeah. And, you know, also I like to break things down into kind of buckets for people, right? So there's the training piece, but there's also the management piece, which is just, you know, making some changes to the environment so that the dog isn't rehearsing a behavior or the 
people get some immediate relief, right? So there's management and then there's enrichment and then there's exercise. I mean, there are, you know, little pieces of this puzzle. And during some sessions, what I have found is that, you know, as we're going through all of the different pieces, my clients are starting to look a little like, oh gosh, can we do this? And then we have the conversation about what's realistic for them, right? So this is not the only thing they have going. They can't spend hours and hours a day working through training plans. So what can you do? What do you have the bandwidth for? Um, management's going to, you know, be your first line of defense and, and we're going to get training up and running or, you know, is it enrichment? Is it exercise there? You know, it, you're right. It's not always about these sort of extensive training experiences for the humans. Right. Well, and like, I think that the, something we, we have in common is we help our clients identify what their values are. Right. Like what do they value in their dog? What do they value in a behavior repertoire that that, that their dog might have? Right. Because I think that sometimes we get so bogged down in like skills and doing all of this. We miss the fact that like if a dog doesn't need all these extensive skills and this person doesn't have the bandwidth to give them those skills, we don't have to go there. Right. (laughs) We don't have to go there. Right. We can just help people understand some of those small tweaks and changes they can make to what is actually really valuable for them. And I don't know about you, Lizzie, but I feel like so many of my clients value their dog's care so much, right? Like they care. I always tell my clients, like we're the 99th percentile of dog guardians. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you are the people who care more for their dogs than the average population but they feel like they've fallen short because they're still having these challenges, right? With their dog's behavior. And they feel like I love them so much. Why can't we get there? And I love being able to bridge that gap between like the love that they feel like they're giving their dog and then them starting to realize how they can shift that to stuff that their dog really values. And then how they both can be fulfilled in that way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, I, it's that question of what do we actually need from our dogs and giving ourselves permission to let go of, you know, a single suite of skills that all dogs must learn or must have. Um, and just that reality of a moving target, <laughs> right? So sometimes when I meet a client, they have a particular behavioral challenge in mind. It's right on top. And then as we start talking through what's happening, or even over the course of a couple of different, you know, a couple of sessions, that target moves and suddenly there's a different priority or a new priority. And I feel like part of my job is to let that be okay and to support them in whatever is happening right now, you know, so long as we're not talking about, um, you know, a a public health issue, right? We we don't have an aggressive dog. This isn't about, I won't do muzzle training kind of thing. Right. But um, for the most part, it really is that question of like, what do they actually need from their dog? And then meeting them there and, and setting them up with as much, you know, as many resources as possible to get them there. 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, I think that this conversation transcends all behavior challenges, really. It honestly does, right? Like even the dogs who are aggressing, like obviously we're doing probably some more strict management protocols and maybe <laughs> we're asking owners to commit a little bit more time every day to some of that behavior modification. But yeah. I think that we're also still asking our clients to understand things from their dog's perspective. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, especially when it comes to dogs who behave very outside of the societal norm, whether that's they're really fearful, they have separation anxiety, they're reactive, they're aggressive. I think yeah. that so often owners feel, owners, guardians, they feel lost because they can't understand how could they end up with a dog who would behave like this, right? Like yeah. how could they do that? And I think yeah. a gift we get to give our clients is understanding. Right. And like, I, I always joke with my clients, like, I'm going to be your dog's number one cheerleader. I'm going to fall in love with your dog in so many ways that you're going to start to appreciate things about your dog that maybe you didn't before. And yeah. I think sometimes when we can give our clients that gift, that actually empowers them and gives them the bandwidth to step up and do some of the more black and white stuff that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I just love how you're supporting your client's perception of their dog, how you're helping shift that for them, because it can be really hard and kind of heartbreaking when we find ourselves, you know, with a dog that wasn't maybe what we thought, what we planned, what we hoped. Right. And there is, Oh, every dog comes to us carrying these tremendous gifts. And we just sometimes need a little help seeing them. Right. And it's like, you know, I think in in many of my client sessions over the years, I was the first person in their like immediate circle of people to shine a light and be compassionate and understanding on some of their dog's behavior. Yeah. Right. Because like, you know, I have a lot of really wonderful clients who are very dog savvy and they're very forward thinking, but the majority of my clients don't have Instagram. They don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> they don't, they don't know these things. You know what I mean? And they're surrounded by people who are frustrated by their dog's behavior. Maybe they're putting pressure on them. You have to do something about this dog and their behavior. And I start to become the first person to come in and be like, cool. So can we see things from the dog's perspective? Yeah. And I think that, you know, one, I think that that alleviates a lot of pressure for the guardian, but I think it starts to slowly permeate in how they think about their dog and their dog's behavior and they slowly but surely start to put a little bit less weight into what other people have to say about their dog's behavior and I think that you know that is such a huge starting point for so many of my clients to to move past the the why they're doing it because other people making feel making them feel bad about their dog's behavior right like that can't be the crux of all of this. You have to be doing it for your greater good and your dog's greater good. And I feel like that's something that we both as professionals are really trying to do in addition to like, you know, meeting them with our very factual evidence-based education. (laughs) Right. I mean, when you think about it, it's, I mean, how many people are walking around out there feeling misunderstood not heard right and then to be in a situation whether it's their dog or a friend's dog where you know 
the animal is in quotes misbehaving, right? We are so constantly judged by our own behavior. You and I were, you know, saying earlier, it's so easy to nitpick each other, whether it's trainers and trainers or just people. And so I think when, you know, when that moment comes up, it's hard for a lot of people at first to find their compassion, to find their patience, and just to realize that, you know, it's, it's not personal. It's not the guardian's fault. And to maybe ask a few, you know, a few thoughtful questions about how they might help or, you know, how does that feel for you? Um, I was thinking back to how I got into dog training and it really goes back to this little dog I adopted in 2013, who, you know, was meant to be this friendly, easygoing, um, beagle, her adoption or her, you know, rescue write-up was, um, full of, uh, uh, inaccuracies. <laughs> and she came to me with all sorts of challenges. Um, but what I realized was that it wasn't her behavior that was the actual problem. It was that she was reflecting back to me how I felt about myself. So, right. So like in her, I was feeling self-judgment. I was feeling a lower self-esteem than I even realized was there. And the more I advocated for her and the more I kind of, you know, came up with some sticky scripts and some nice reframes and like brought humor to the whole thing, the easier it got. And that kind of set me on a path to loving myself in a different way, you know, in a, in a bigger way and other people. So what was her name? Her name was Tildy. 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 There's always... I mean, there's always a lot of dogs that change our trajectory, but like that first one, like that first pivotal teacher is pretty special. Yeah. She was really special. Did you have one of those? Yes. Sonny. Oh, Sonny. Sonny was number. Yeah. He was the first one. He was the first one for me. And like, I think that so often society wants to perceive dog training as like, we are going to be able to make dogs do things at our disposal. And that's the way that it works. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I don't always frame it in my consults with people. Like, tell me how you're feeling slowly, but surely sometimes I have to unpack those things for people because I think sometimes people compartmentalize, right? They're like, it doesn't, yep. you know, I, the dog needs to do this. Like, except for why though, <laughs> right? Like why does the dog need to do that? And I think when we we get curious and we ask those questions, we encourage our clients to get curious and be like, okay, but why do they? Right. right. And sometimes my clients are reasonable. <laughs> sometimes my clients are reasonable. Like I need the dog to not bolt out the front door. And that's obvious. And we can teach them that. But I think that there's a lot larger um, scope of the reasons why my clients want to train their dogs way more than just safety right I think that we all want our dogs to make us feel good that's why we bring dogs into our lives our lives right right? (laughs) Right? like that's why we do that and I think that you know sometimes we get lost in the 
the dog needs to make me feel good. And we get lost in the, we're both supposed to feel good together, (laughs) right? Like this isn't supposed to be a one-sided conversation. This is supposed to be a two-sided conversation. And I, and I, that's what I love so much about, you know, our industry, right? The positive reinforcement training community is that I think we all really do help our clients understand that in a world where there is still a lot of perpetuation of treating dogs as commodities and robots. Yep. 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 And I think there's a lot of relief for our clients. You know, when we say uh, this is a perfect example, this is a New England thing, or at least, you know, it has been with my clients. We have snow and ice on the ground many months of the year, right? When we're working on, you know, some basic manner stuff and it's got to have a really good sit. And we have the conversation about where they want their dog to sit, right? And inevitably it's, you know, at every corner, right? Before they go over, go uh, through a crosswalk or whatever, that sort of thing. It's going to be really cold for like five months of the year. And I'm not sure your dog is going to, you know, love that. Might be a little bit harder to get that sit that you want, but how about a stand? Like, would stand be cool? (laughs) They're like, is that an option? You know, so right. I, you know, it's just presenting options, letting them, you know, see it from the perspective of their dog and also what's easier for them as the guardian. Like, oh yeah, less work would be cool. Like less training, more enjoyment. I'm down with that. You know? Oh my God. Seriously. Every time I give my clients permission to do like X, Y, or Z that like you would think a trainer probably wouldn't tell them they're always so relieved. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not here to like, like make this hard for anyone. This doesn't have to be a power struggle struggle. Like everyone can get what they need out of this. Right. And I think it's one of those things too, that like, I think as a society, we are not terribly conditioned to always make our needs a priority. And I think that that's something that like, you know, I think as we mature, all of us as human beings, we start to realize like, uh, actually, yes, my needs really do matter. But I find that, you know, and and I'm sure you can relate to this with Tilly too, but like, I feel like Sunny helped me understand that I had to love myself in order to show up to be who he needed me to be. And I think sometimes our clients really struggle with that. And that just creates so much friction in relationships, Yeah, human relationships, dog relationships. And I think that that's something that we kind of model for our clients in the fact that like, we're always going to preach for like the dog's perspective and meeting their needs. And it, it never stops there. I think it starts to permeate into like the guardian's perception of, their own needs, their own enrichment, their own satisfaction. Yeah, they matter in this. They really matter in this. I think a lot of people go day in and day out without hearing that kind of thing. You know, your needs matter. Um, You're a factor here. And, you know, both needs can be met. There's that sweet spot between what the guardian needs or wants and what the dog can do or needs, you know, you can always find that. Right. You really always can. And I think that it's so much more um, like creative solutions. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, but a dash of magic. And I feel like that is, <laughs> I think that that is really 
what has led to so much success with the clients that I've been able to serve over the years, right? It's like, I think that we can help everyone get what they need out of the situation. And I think that us being able to shine a light and the fact that like, Hey, standing is totally acceptable criteria. Your dog doesn't have to sit every time. It's totally fine. If your dog is in creature, it's totally fine. If your dog sleeps in the bed, right? Like the things that really matter, right? Your dog's ability to connect with you, your ability to connect with them, your ability to work together as a team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that once we lay that foundation, it transcends their relationship with their dog. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. And I've had that experience in my own relationships with dogs and with my clients. I mean, I just, you know, their dogs bring patience or at least my dogs, you know, and the dogs I've worked with have just taught me so much patience. My compassion is deeper than ever. I just, you know, I think there is a softening that comes with the way that we work with our clients and their dogs. And I I can't speak for you, but my clients are always a little stunned when I talk about how I live in a house of yes and how, you know, the way our home is set up is such that my dogs have choices. It's not just one dog bed. It's not just one place they can rest, right? They can be on the furniture. There are multiple dog beds. They have options when it comes to dinner time. They get to choose the chew they want at the end of the day. They're, you know, it's, they're sort of like, wow, that's really, that's really loose, you know? And, but they, I can just see the wheels through. They're like, okay, I can do that. And, you know, it's just, it's not that they have to have the same level of yes, but they can figure out for themselves what feels good in this life that they are sharing with this dog. And, you know, everyone, I want to be really clear here that this is not just like people like us. This is families. This is their kids. This is extended family who start to benefit from this core, right? Like this core, like relationship building that we're doing between the guardian and the dog that starts to permeate the relationships between that dog and all the people surrounding them too, right? And like, I don't know about you, Lizzie, but I've had the great fortune of working with so many families, so many kids, extended family members. And it's so beautiful to be able to give them all that gift, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, yes, you all have this dog here. And yes, we can get this dog to do things on cue that you want, but they don't have to be for overarching power structure rules that you thought that that's the way that you were supposed to do things with dogs, right? Like, I always tell my clients, I'm like, it is your dog. It is your rules. I am here to help you formulate more appropriate rules so you both can thrive, right? It's not us coming in with this overarching, you have to do things this way or this way. It's not. It's about being flexible. It's about saying yes as much as we possibly can. Not saying yes at the expense of us, Yeah. right? Like making sure that we both get to say yes. It's free. I, that's really well put. It's not about sacrifice. It is always about compromise. And I feel like 
you know, I'm a better host now. When someone comes into my home, I want to know what makes them comfortable, right? Before they ever get here, what do you need to feel comfortable? What are your food needs? What does your coffee want in the morning, right? Are you honey or are you sugar? And all of the practices that I've put in place over the years as a result of, you know, learning about dog behavior and consent and, you know, preference, right? Their individual preferences has helped me be better in all of my relationships. So my clients, my friends, my family, um, and there is a softening, right? And, and you're right. There's absolutely a ripple effect where that is now reciprocated. Um, so I either receive it from someone I modeled it for, or I see them offering it up, you know, to their friend or to their dogs, which is when I really get happy about it. Um, oh my God, right? That's what our hearts sing. That is what our hearts sing. It's the best. It's the best. Just, you know, options. There are options. And it's not about you, the guardian, disappear. It's about there, you know, there's enough to go around. And how do we, you know, how do we make it work for everyone? Right. And I think, you know, it's like, when I was first starting out training, right? Like I was still on a very, um, I had a learning curve in life and self-exploration, you know, as most young people do. And I feel like as I started to learn more about training and positive reinforcement and coaching clients, I was able to model that in my own life and my own relationships. And, you know, I've had the great gift of I've um, been married for a long time. Oh, that's so lovely. (laughs) I've had a partner for 14 years and, you know, he, he and I have both really benefited from what I learned about training and connecting with dogs. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, being able to to use those same concepts and principles for myself, for my partner, like it is, it's such a softening. It's such a softening of a society that tells us that it has to be black and white. It has to be this way or that way. You are right or you are wrong. And it's such a beautiful space to exist in. It's so much lighter and more carefree. I always, I was right. Like I always think about trainers who are still using, you know, what, what I think maybe we both could label outdated old school training methods. I always like hold this place of compassion for them because think about those, those standards that they require dogs to. Can you imagine the unrealistic and brutal standard they hold themselves to? The people, the relationships that they have, those standards that exist for them. And, you know, I just, I think the point of this conversation, everyone was to invite you, invite you to come into this beautiful space where your needs get to be met. Your dog's needs get to be met. You get to have a great relationship with your dog. You get to benefit from really reliable response and training. And it's going to transcend that, right? We call it dog training, but y'all, you're getting a lot more than dog training. (laughs) I I think of it more as a lifestyle, right? I mean, it's, you know, it really is. It, It does ripple out into everything I do. And, you know, one of the other things that I, I just... I've learned 
so much from is this experience of living with an amoral creature, right? Our dogs have no ulterior motives. We have no science to support that they can manipulate. They're right. That there is no stubborn, right? We don't have. And so it gives me this opportunity to step back and just think, well, that is just the purest action you're taking right now, (laughs) whatever it is, whether he's, you know, grabbing the peanut butter bottle off the, you know, the empty peanut butter thing out of the trash or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, instead of defaulting to fear or judgment or making my dog's behavior wrong, I am able to just observe, say, well, that was interesting. (laughs) How do I feel about that? I have the tools to change it or prevent it if I want to. And also, was I maybe a little bit delighted? Did I find that a little bit amusing, right? Like, Tuck loves carrying around paper handlebags. Oh my God, Tuck. Loves. And I, it has no purpose, right, in our life from a training standpoint, but I find it utterly just delightful. So I pay him every time he does it. And yeah, is that, you know, positive reinforcement training? Yes, 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 yes. But also, is it just fun? You know, is it just a little bit of fun? So I just, I think there are a lot of benefits to living with these amoral creatures that have no ulterior motives, who aren't trying to manipulate us. Um, And I know for sure that I now go into my interactions with friends and family and clients and just humans out in the world from that standpoint. I'm not always looking for the wrong in them. You know, I'm ready to scan and reinforce. (laughs) I'm looking for the thing that, you know, if nothing else, the little teeny tiny thing that they're getting right. Even if that's just showing up for themselves, you know? Oh, yes, Lizzie. I mean, seriously, like, amen to all of that, right? (laughs) And, you know, I think that, there's oftentimes like I get a little bit of pushback from clients, right? Because they're like, yeah, 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 Rachel, except for like, teach me how to make my dog do this. And I think it's one of those that like, it's okay to feel resistance to that at first. I think that that's a normal human response, right? Because when your whole life you've been conditioned that you have to do things, you have to be this way. There are consequences, right? Like, of course there are consequences, but when you can soften, when you can change your perception of things that really have no ulterior motive, right? Like, I think that there's this horrible, like, falsity that dogs are, like, secretly plotting against you. <laughs> that always, yeah. Right? That always it's not about giggle. undermining who you are. Dogs don't roll that way. <laughs> Only people do that. So yeah. don't, so don't let yourself get stuck in those thought patterns, right? Like, Lizzie and I are living proof. Our clients are living proof of what is possible, 
right? Mm -hmm. When you really internalize and you choose to show up with kindness and compassion, when you choose to celebrate the things and try and prevent the things you don't want as much as you can. And that's absolutely possible. And I assure you, you are going to giggle and find so much delight in celebrating who your dog is instead of feeling like you have to punish your dog for something that someone made you feel like was bad. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. Lizzie, I think we could go down a lot of rabbit holes and we will do that in the future, but, (laughs) but for today, for today, um, I want you to, um, share with the listeners a little bit more about how you serve clients in case they're in your area or they'd like to work with you virtually. Sure. Sure. Like I said, I'm based in Worcester, Massachusetts, but I see clients uh, across the country and a few internationally via Zoom. I love doing in-person sessions and I do see clients in Boston and Cambridge. Um, I teach a five-week live virtual class that I love so much called Recall for a Meatball. And I would say my specialties at this point are, are probably Recall canine adolescence and like related shenanigans. Um, I love resource guarding uh, and resource guarders. And at this point, my portfolio is pretty well-rounded, but um, I also love supporting clients with pre-adoption. So thinking through what kind of dog will really be a fit in their life. Um, I just, counseling, any, any cases that come with counseling, I just love. And I also send out good dog people mail every couple of weeks. It's a hand-drawn newsletter and I just love making it for you. So there's a link to that in my bio at Instagram. Amazing. And you have some merch these days too. Yes. Oh, I do. I do. I do. Oh my gosh. Thank you for reminding me. I do love graphic design and I have a bonfire store there's also a link to that um, at Instagram. And I do shirts that are, you know, based on force free training and positive reinforcement and just loving up our dogs. Um, there's a good dog person design that is a bestseller. Um, so, yeah, you're welcome to come on by. I'd love to see more good dog people shirts out in the world. Oh my God. Okay. And then Lizzie, in addition to Instagram, how else is the best way for people to find you? Sure. I'm also at Facebook and, um, my website is the good dog people.com. The good dog people.com. I love it. I love it so much. Lizzie, <laughs> thank you for being such a gift to this industry and to your clients. It was such a delight to connect with you today. Oh, thank you for the R plus. And I was so happy to be here today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.